Hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. My name is Michael McGraw. I am here with Michael Shutt and today is Monday, April 10th, and there's no live basketball or football games to speak of. Some great baseball games though. UVA baseball killing it right now. Yeah. 28 and 4, best record in the country. One seed in the ACC Coastal Division, just swept Miami. Pretty good times. It is. Uh, I, I've started to transition over to paying attention to college baseball now that I'm I'm coming to grips with basketball season officially being over, and I'm focusing uh, a little bit more on college baseball. It's still kind of, it takes me a little bit to really switch over. I don't know. There's just something about it that's like... Do you think that the bases, if the bases were bigger, would that help? That's helped Major League Baseball this year. No, I don't know. There's something about college baseball to me that it can be really, really fun. But also, I get a little tired of like, I'm going to watch this kid from LSU hit, you know, with a batting average of 500. Like, some some people are just too good. And so it's like, you get this kind of thing that you don't get in pro baseball, which I love, where like, there's such a talent disparity sometimes where... I just remember seeing earlier this season, like UVA played Navy and beat them like twenty-four to two or something like that. Like, that's not fun. That's because Navy excels in the seas, yeah. not not in the field. <laughs> I enjoy it. I mean, it's something that like the schools that I am a fan of are are good at baseball, right? So like, state having a down year sort of within the conference, but this is where the metrics, the metrics TM help us. Uh, we're like a top 10 team in the baseball RPI rankings, but have a losing record in the conference because our strength of schedule is so great. Beat Virginia one time. Hey, cool. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. Just got swept by Wake Forest. But then the, the big one is Elon, my alma mater, uh, 26 in the RPI rankings. They're one of the best Ooh, like mid-major teams They in might the sneak in. Yeah. They've been quietly like churning out major league talent over the last few years and this is, that's where I think college baseball is fun is you get a lot of your sort of like mid-major smaller school programs can compete. You know, whether it's like Coastal Carolina winning their championship a couple of years back or like ECU is really good and Campbell is very good this year. Like that part is fun. All those weird like Cal State schools that tend to be good. I don't know. I'm a very casual college baseball fan. Sometimes it is fun when you have the dominant people like mash and homers, but... Every now and then it's kind of like, all right, we're going to watch this just for Virginia or Vanderbilt or LSU or Florida or one of those schools that's always, I don't know, it just feels like the parody doesn't usually last till the end of the, you know, you have the smaller schools that can be successful, but they're not ultimately going to win it all. It's going to be one of those traditional powers, it feels like. You've had some situations in the last few years. I remember Oregon State, when they won their back-to-back championships, they came to Charlottesville as a three-seed, I think. Mm -hmm. So they had to go all the way across the country, came to the initial regional site and won, and then went on to win the whole thing. So you you do get some of those. Mississippi had kind of an improbable run last year to win. So I think it's fun. I don't get as into it until they actually get into the tournament. Oh, like for sure. I love the tournament. The tournament's a lot of fun. It's exciting. You you get those regional sites, which can get crazy. I know UVA played at ECU last year, and the atmosphere there was insane. Like, yeah. the ECU fans were just totally into it, and it was a lot of fun in a way that you don't see that normally with baseball. Like, particularly pro- professional baseball, it's, you know, 
polite golf clapping, I feel right. like. But Well, you get to that part of the year where, like, yeah, people don't have basketball and football and stuff. So you're a college kid. Why not go tailgate, get drunk, and go to a baseball game and yell at some people? I do feel like college baseball always has good personalities. Mm. I think about, uh, who was the guy, the Dippin' Dots guy, Stephen Shock. Yeah, uh, a couple years back, you get uh, there's some fun times. I just and and good for UVA. More like, I mean, this year honestly, my thing has been good for Wake Forest. They've got a they're playing th- really well. Yeah, they're number two in the country. They got a thing. Same record as UVA, mm-hmm. twenty eight and four. Yeah, they so. they. I don't think they have this stat though for UVA, which is that they are in the top three in both team ERA and batting average. Okay, try That's- to try to find some analytics. Yeah. complaints about that. That's pretty good. I have no complaints. I mean, that's th- this is where, like, baseball, I think a lot of the analytical stuff lends itself more to actually predicting success, especially when it's something simple like ERA and batting <laughs> average. That's not exactly money ball type stuff. Yeah, it, it's, you just, you have a little bit less disparity, I find, in baseball between, like, what the numbers say and then actual on-field performance. Not a lot of West Virginia basketball type situations out there happening in baseball. But hey, sneaky in the RPI rankings in baseball, sitting at number 30, UConn. Just Whoa. saying. They're usually pretty good. I just watched uh, Quinnipiac win the hockey championship uh, the other day. So That was an insane set play coming out of overtime 10 seconds 10 seconds into overtime unbelievable i was a big uh i was a big fan of theirs during this tournament run because one of their better players is uh skylar brendamore son of rod Rod brendamore coach of my and hurricanes uh legend so uh yeah i just the state of connecticut watch out they're coming for everybody some we'll definitely keep track of baseball. I'm excited after UVA just swept Miami over the weekend. So that was a very exciting... knocked them out of the rankings. That's right. We should go to a UVA game. I've I've never been. It's a... it's actually a really nice stadium. Yeah. It's it's uh honestly it's a nicer place to watch a baseball game than Scott Stadium is to watch a football game. I think that I can say that without too much. Is that bar difficulty. super high? No, it's not. But okay. it's nice. Yeah, I'd love to go if they have a, a any good. A good series coming up or anything. I mean, I would imagine they're obviously going to host some postseason baseball. So They're on track, too. Yeah. We get to the tournament, I'm really into it. But I'm more interested now in some of the offseason stuff for these other sports. Like basketball, where we have portal activity. Portal talk. Portal talk, man. I love it. People are going in and out. They're moving. It's still early. So you have fan bases overreacting to additions and you've got now this uh, um, currently in the NC State fan universe, people are, are revving back up the fire Kevin Keats engine because he's missed out apparently on three big targets. Who has said these were big targets? Fans mostly. They just let this guy who just went to Florida. That's right. We decided that guy was a guy that we were going to get because he said he was excited about a visit that he's never going to take. Well, didn't he also have... One of his coaches, former coaches on the staff at yeah, NC State there, or something like that. Yeah, there was some sort of coaching tie. I honestly don't remember who it was or why I was supposed to care. This stuff, this is the thing. is It's it's all about overreaction. I mean, okay, so for context. I'm thinking of Hand, Hand Lockton. 
Yeah, yeah, Longton. Yeah. The big guy from Hand Marshall. Longton. Yes. Yeah. Um, from Huntersville, North Carolina. Yeah, I mean that's that's why is is he's from the state and people just feel like you know they show up somebody somebody who's relatively local shows up in the portal and people are just I'm sure this happens with UVA too people or it's somebody that they were targeting and we get very excited and think oh they're gonna come here so you've got guys like Dontre Styles and Jaden Epps both Georgetown commits. Great job, Ed Cooley. Like, no surprise. I mean, the guy, we knew this guy was a home run hire and a really good recruiter and great. Context, though. Okay, just put it in perspective for fans out there. NC State, as a great example, this is not just for state fans, not just for ACC fans, all around context. Surprisingly positive basketball season this past year, led by transfers. So let's think about that. Jarkel Joyner, all ACC point guard. He was not even in the portal last year until April 12th. We are recording this on April 10th. Didn't commit to state until April 20th. Uh, Dusan Mahorchich, who ended up getting hurt, uh, but was a big portal guy for us, didn't enter the portal until May 3rd. DJ Burns didn't enter the portal until April 27th and didn't commit until May 11th. These are all major parts of an NCAA tournament roster who wouldn't, like, as of right now, wouldn't even be in the portal. So we have no idea what this is going to shake out as at the end, just because some, I would have loved to have had Jaden Epps. Don't trust Styles. I didn't really care that much about. There are guys in the portal that I would love to have. At the same time, like, it's not over. Like, I, I don't know. We see guys commit to places and think like, oh, well, that was it. Or this Hamlington guy going to Florida. Like, that sucks. I would have loved to have had him. There's other people out there. Uh, one of the other ones that was a big deal, Bobby Pettiford. Uh, from Kansas, he's from Durham, so people were like, "Oh, like he's gonna come home and go to NC State," and he went to ECU. Like, I, I just, I don't know. There's so much left to happen, so much movement, and I mean, Bronny James still hasn't committed. Man, there's a big high school recruit out there. There, there is a feeling as a fan where you have people who are leaving your program, you have empty spots. So UVA is in a position now where they have basically no centers mm-hmm. on their team for next year. So there's anxiety about that. But really, every single day, there's a new person entering the portal that is really good. Like, in the last week, Nemhard joined the portal. That yeah. was a, a crazy, unexpected. totally unexpected. LJ Cryer enter, entering the portal from Baylor. Instantly, like, one of the best players now going to Houston. So, there, like you said, there, there are people that are joining every single day, it seems like. So you can get excited about people that come in. You can get nervous about people that are going out. But it's really, really hard to like make sense of the whole picture, I feel mm-hmm. like, until maybe October. Maybe yeah. maybe midway through November and the season started. And you're like, okay, who, which freshman ended up reclassifying mm-hmm. and joining, joining a team? Which person joined late once everything, all the chips fell? So this is really, really difficult to assess. And I, it, this, this is one thing I kind of want to talk about. I think you and I both feel and have shared on this podcast the appreciation of the portal as being good for athletes. Mm-hmm. And I think very few people will take that and actually complain about that. Like, I think people generally tend to agree that the athletes having more control is good for the athletes. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what you think about whether it's actually good for the game of college basketball broadly. So it's not just athletes have more power. 
and some coaches are better at roster management. Does it actually make the game better to have the situation where people don't know where they are, people make plans and you can't for more than one year count on anybody to be on your roster? What does that do for the fan experience? What does that do for the actual game? Because I, I see this on the saber.com a lot where people, I see people who are actually agree with us on the points of like, yeah, it's great for athletes, but man, it really makes the experience difficult to watch. It makes me as a fan less interested in the game. I, I guess the short answer as far as what this does for the fan experience is I'm not sure I really care. Does it make it harder sometimes to follow? Yeah, but there's this thing that I, I think we as fans have to get over, which is the fact that we are... Uh, from like a economic standpoint, we're a very important part of the process. But in terms of how this thing plays out and where kids play and where coaches coach and how they play and how they're set up for their future, and we're the least important part of the recipe. In terms of us knowing what's going on, I just I don't buy that as a major argument for or against the transfer portal. Do I get bummed when a, an NC State player that I like enter, enters the portal? Yeah. When I, when I realize, oh, that guy's leaving, or I get bummed when Terquavion Smith's going pro, or whatever, sure. But also, like, there's going to be another guy, and, and I'll I'll figure it out, right? As a fan, I'm going to, that next, Terquavion Smith is a perfect example. He wasn't supposed to be NBA-type talent. Like, he was an afterthought, sort of, in the recruiting class, and he became the best guy. Or, you, you kind of mentioned, like, things aren't set until... You sort of get into to the fall. Like Sean Phillips was a big man who committed to NC State. He was part of our, our recruiting class and ended up decommitting late and ended up at LSU. And now he's in the transfer portal. Like things are going to move. And to your point, does that make it harder for fans? Yes. In terms of like, does it make the game worse? I wouldn't say so. I, I think ultimately what this does, the freedom of movement and the freedom of coaches to to recruit more broadly and build rosters a little bit more deliberately, even year to year, to me creates better basketball teams, which creates a better product. I think you look at, uh, there are programs that are still building the traditional way. FAU is a perfect example. It makes a, a Final Four run with you know a team that wasn't built on the back of the transfer portal. With this being a different era, I think there is a learning curve for fans. I think... We have to understand as a collective fan base of the sport, both for basketball and football, that we're in a transitionary period. And I think that that means that there's things that the way they look right now is not the way it's going to go in a year or two, maybe. You've got to factor in the changes to the transfer portal, but also, you know, NIL stuff is part of this as well. And, and there's situations where certain programs just aren't going to be able to or are going to choose not to compete in the NIL market on the level of like a Miami or even it seems Georgetown is really starting to jump into that a little bit more based on recent activity. You know, I I just think that like we have to understand that things are changing. That's okay. (laughs) It can be scary as fans. And I get it. Like, we'll probably all miss the days of having your best players be guys that you could count on. They're going to be there for at least three years, maybe. And you can watch them develop through their whole career. But at the same time, you know, if a guy decides somebody, Caleb Love, for example, 
plays three years at Carolina, up and down, experiences a whole bunch of stuff, and then is like, you know what? This isn't the best spot for me. Or Hunter Dickinson from Michigan deciding I can pursue something better and develop in a different way. And I just, I don't know. I, to me, it's like, this is supposed to be fun. Let's not turn recess into homework and, and make this something hard and, and be like, oh, I I hate all the changes and just we figure out how to adjust to it. So I, I agree with you. I'm going to play devil's advocate here Go just to push back. So, and here's why... Here's where I think a lot of UVA fans that I see on Twitter and on the Sabre are coming from. We established a program that had not had success since the 80s mm-hmm. with a coach that was a really good coach by all accounts. He manages to recruit slowly, getting better year after year, managing to develop players over four years in many cases mm-hmm. without necessarily getting five-star players. They win the championship inexplicably amazingly they win the championship then COVID happens and that I think facilitates a lot of this NIL transfer portal extra year churn that we've seen so there's a lot of uncertainty and UVA hasn't fallen off a cliff in this they still were in they still were a four seed in the tournament this year and won the ACC but UVA doesn't right now have the setup for NIL in the way that many other schools do. So mm-hmm. you have traditional programs, you have some upstart programs with just happen to have some wealthy donors and they show up and now those programs are seemingly cutting in line. I mean, I, I, that's not really the right way of phrasing it, but suddenly able to offer something that isn't this traditional good way of developing the program. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a lot of angst in UVA fans, I think, would have a whole series of worries. One is that we won't be able to keep up. Some people worry Tony Bennett won't stick around because he just doesn't seem like the kind of coach that is going to go promise kids a bunch of money and stuff sure. like that. He just he just isn't built that way, I think, right now. So what what would you say to those fans? Would you, is your answer just like, hey, man, like have some fun? You know, I, I don't. What would you say to those? On some people? level. But I think the bigger thing I would say is like, has it really changed that much? Like, this was when when one and done became a thing and, and people were concerned about how Calipari was recruiting at Kentucky. And we were... This is the thing. I, I find that detractors from NIL want to have it both ways. They want to say that, you know, it's ruining the game. But also, they'll be some of the first people to point out that these programs are already doing this stuff. It was just under the table. So, which is it? Is it ruining the game that it's more out in the open or is it this thing that's already happened? And also, like, let's look at the results. Let's not pretend like, because like, and you said it, like UVA has not fallen off a cliff. You've got two four-star recruits coming in. One of the best combo guards in the country. One of the most athletic guards in the country is coming in. And you have this Buchanan kid who I just watched in the Nike Hoop Summit who's unreal. Like, UVA is fine. So Isaac Trout transfers out. Okay, who cares? Is a kid who hasn't <laughs> done anything at the college level, but... I, and I've seen it too. Fans want to act like the sky's falling because somebody decided there was a situation that was better for them. The reality is, based on everything that that kid has said publicly, he probably transfers out without NIL, without whatever. I don't think that's why he went. No. So I don't think much has changed at UVA just because of an inability to keep... UConn is not known as like an NIL hotbed. like, And they just went and won a championship. You know, you look through and like... Gonzaga is still having sustained success without it. So when you go through these basketball programs 
uh, and start to think about like who are the programs that everybody looks at as like this is where most of the NIL stuff is. This is where most of the money is. Kentucky, I, I guess Kansas probably has some there, but like they were already winning. Like if you look post COVID, just the three champions we've had: Baylor, Kansas, and UConn. I don't know that any of those stick out as like, oh, they won because of some major shift. So when you think about it, the thing I would compare it to is like NBA free agency and, and sort of the way that in the late aughts, I guess, like in that, that the thing we, the, what we always put it to is the, the uh, Boston Celtics big three getting together. This was a major shift in terms of NBA players taking control of their own movement in a pretty major way kind of forcing trades in ways that hadn't been done before. And everybody, NBA fans all around were like, oh my God, this is crazy. Things have shifted. And I'm not here to push back against that. I think things in the NBA did change. Team building changed. The idea of building sort of a big three was a pretty major thing. But you look at like, okay, so the Celtics won that championship. You have LeBron in Miami. Golden State, you could argue, built that super team. But then you have other examples that didn't work. Like the Brooklyn Nets, okay, twice, right? When they brought in uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce after they left Boston. And then the James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and they brought in Ben Simmons. Like, you know, so I think that's a perfect case study to look at and say, like, just calm down. I, I don't see some seismic, has recruiting changed? Yes. Has it led to results that are really all that different from before? Not so far. That's the thing that I think is interesting about this and i agree with you when we had a final four of the blue bloods Mm -hmm. last year with kansas duke unc and villanova everyone there were a number of articles that were written then about this is what college basketball is going to be like Mm -hmm. cream is going to rise to the top you can't compete with these major programs that have the resources and history and cachet of these programs and now this year we have a final four where uconn is kind of in that category i guess and then FAU, Miami, and San Diego State. Three teams that who, while they might have had transfers, are not, they're not getting the top transfers. They're not mm-hmm. getting the people that everyone's like, oh my God, this, there's no Hunter Dickinson that transferred to FAU. Right. So what do you make of that? And now there's stories that are like, well, we're going to have this parody across basketball. I think it's way too early to know what the actual end result is going to be. And I think you're probably right that most of the time it's going to be a wash. There's still going to be programs like Duke and UNC and Kansas that are able to reload, whether it's through first-year players like they used to be able to do or now getting established players from mid-majors that show up. or Yeah. They're, they're this, the same programs. It's not like you're going to see programs just completely fall off the map if they have good coaching and they have the resources to do it. I mean, I think Miami's your biggest argument. Like, you have the big publicized stuff with Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack and the money they were throwing around, and then they do make a Final Four run. But also, like, they were in the Elite Eight last year. You know, like, this is a a solid program with one of the best coaches in the country that, like, I I don't think you could look at that and say it's exclusively based on this. But also, NIL money, what we have to understand, too, is I feel like this it's not exclusively tied to talent and performance level. I kind of jokingly mentioned him earlier, but like your greatest single NIL value this year is probably going to be Bronny James if he enters uh, college basketball and doesn't go play pro. Is he a, a game breaking recruit? Probably not. Like he's a really good basketball player, but he's not the kind of guy who's going to come in 
and immediately change a program. He's not Zion. No. And you look on the women's side of things, and the Cavender twins down at Miami. Like, one's a pretty good basketball player. The other one's okay. They have a social media following, so their NIL value is massive. So, same thing. If you look at the transfer portal on a lot of these websites, they'll list the recruits, but also list their NIL value. And, like, if you look at some of these recruits, the, the highest NIL value I'm seeing is Caleb Love. But he's not the best one that was available. You know, it's just like he's a name people know. And it's not all based on. So the, my, my point is like the money doesn't necessarily mean that these guys are going to be program changing type players. I don't think all these guys are transferring to where the money is. So. Yeah, I mean, Caleb Love left UNC. Right. At, under what circumstances? And no offense to Michigan. I'm sure Michigan has plenty of resources. Sure. But. UNC is the blue blood program that has won championships. It is one of the most iconic programs there is. You can't tell me that Caleb Love didn't have the opportunity to make money at Carolina. Right. Well, and Hunter Dickinson leaving Michigan, that's a major brand. Depending on where he goes, you know, right now the projections are, are schools like Maryland and Georgetown. I don't know that those are necessarily bigger opportunities for him money-wise. The I, Max Asmus, the, the Oral Roberts player, could have a chance to go to a big program and cash in, but all the projections have him going to Wichita State. I, I don't think that's a major NIL hotbed. No. So, like, you look around, and I, I just think the sky's not falling. A- and because things changed, a lot of fans are, are worried about what that means for their program, and I understand. And coaches are trying to figure out how to, how to keep up with this stuff. But I would also encourage people to remember that who knows the players and the programs best? It is these coaches. So while we feel that these coaches can only plan year to year, I guarantee you Tony Bennett had a pretty good sense early on that Isaac Trout might be heading out or, or who's likely to stay. Kevin Keats likely knew for NC State, like, okay, Terquavion's going this year no matter what. They probably had that conversation when he came back last year. He probably said, look, coach, Barring some crazy thing, like I'm going after this year, no matter what happens. I, I came back for one more year. Or knowing that a guy like Casey Morsell, who could have an extra year, he probably came into the season with an idea. So my point is, coaches know more than we do, and that's okay. If we as fans have to acknowledge that sometimes we don't get to know everything, and I kind of said this a lot with the Alabama stuff, like sometimes we just have to acknowledge that there are plans and these coaches are figuring out how to navigate it and coaches are going to navigate it differently. So Tony Bennett's not going to go out there probably, I think you're right, and start throwing around a ton ton of NIL money. Okay, He's probably not going to start uh, uh, hunting these big name, splashy transfer portal recruits. I just don't see that as his thing. I mean, you have uh, uh, Hauser, Jaden Gardner. He's going to find, I think, transfer recruits that fit what he wants to do. But I just don't see a coach like that going out and being like, all right, who's the big name? Hunter Dickinson's out there. Let me go get him just because he's the big name. It's more, like, is there yeah, some... It's, he had a relationship with him because he recruited him out of high school. Right. So that's that's the reason that maybe UVA is a player in this. Sure. It's but not you, because he's... But you don't see his name with Caleb Love. You don't see just, just because that these names are out here. And that's my point. I, th- I think that... that these good coaches and good recruiters are going to find their way around this. I mean, think about Coach K with one-and-done stuff. He spent some time sort of fighting it and finding his own way to navigate that world. And then when it became clear that these one-and-done recruits were the way that college basketball is going to be won, 
during especially during that era right those those kind of like 10 15 years within there it feels like it's shifted a little bit but he adapted and he found a way that's what good coaches do so tony bennett will find a way to navigate it or he'll decide he doesn't want to deal with it he'll go the jay wright route and just be like ah, i'm good i don't need to do this so i i think it presents a challenge i think you have coaches like ed cooley who seem to be doing a really good job of you come into a new uh, a program that's been down and you need a way to bolster it early and, and transfer portal can be a quick way to get some wins buy yourself some faith get and what better way to bring recruits in than to start winning games so i think then you start to build okay how do i supplement my roster by bringing in the right high school talent but also some transfer portal stuff so how do you look at a uva roster with guys like jane garner armand franklin types vanderplas types to sort of fill in gaps and where that would be better is if you had some higher level high school recruits who come in like some dynamic recruits like you have coming in this year who can fit together and it's it's got to be a combination and then there you have a very experienced player in Kihei Clark to kind of hopefully gel it together right in an ideal world which for most of the time he did there's ups and downs there but you know the best basket the best college basketball rosters have a combination and it's not all like, I think people act like, oh, if a recruit doesn't get to get everything they want, they're just out. Look at Donovan Klingon at UConn. Like, he didn't get to play probably as much as he would have liked to because Sonogo was so good. And now he's fine, I'm coming back. I'll come be the star next year. So it's still there. I, I, I don't think that it's totally changed. The, the thing that makes me most comfortable in looking at this is you look at a program like Kentucky with a coach like John Calipari, who... If you were to just pick who is NIL and transfer portal stuff mm-hmm. going to help the most, I think Kentucky would be in the top two or three names. Sure. And thus far, they have not had success. Granted, it's been very limited experience, but you just look at the last few years, this year, second round exit, year before a two seed lose to a 15 seed in St. Peter's, year before that, they don't even make the tournament. And Kentucky fans are mad and want Calipari gone. Good luck with that. But that's a program that I think will do really well in this. And mm-hmm. they have not yet done it. It do- is going to take some time to settle. And Calipari is going to figure it out. He will get the right combination of players. Right. But I think it also needs to be said that we define success very differently. I think a lot of UVA fans have been very upset at early round exits. And I'm frustrated by those as well. Mm-hmm. But we also have a national championship and a bunch of regular season championships. If you just look at the history of FAU, they made the Final Four this year. Awesome for them. What history do they have? What expectation do you have of FAU competing regularly at all? I mean, they just signed Dusty May to a 10-year contract. They're moving up in conference. like So maybe they're an upstart? They're actually uniquely positioned, I think. But yeah, you're... You're right. It's kind of the George Mason, the VCU runs. They're not sustaining. Right. What what makes a program successful? Is it year in and year out they're contending and generally a good top 25 team? Or is it that you make a run once every 10 to 15 years and the chips fall really well in the tournament and that's all that matters? I think there has to be more than that. It has to be more than titles. It has to be more than Final Fours. Mm -hmm. Those things matter a ton. Don't get me wrong. But... It has to be more than that. There has to be other ways of evaluating what programs are good. Those things matter, but also, like, again, and, and yes, a fan's going to fan, but also fans need to fan with perspective. One team wins a championship every year. 
So if we count the NIT and the CBI or whatever, that means all but we, like, we don't have to. No, but so basically everybody except for one team, essentially you lose your last game. So there's only one team that gets to end their season with a win, and that is the championship team. So if that's the measure of success for every program in the country, a lot of failures out there, a lot of failure, a lot of heartbreak, and you're all delusional. So if if and I and I, I don't want to be too specific, but I keep on. I, I think NC State is actually a perfect example of this. A first round exit in the NCAA tournament this year is a success for what the expectations were. That is a success, and there is delusion in our fan base among what we should expect based on historical historical success. Jimmy V won that championship forty years ago, my friends. They're like, and they weren't a top seed either. No, and so like. You have to understand that you can't just say, oh, we've done this before. We're one of only a handful of programs that have multiple championships. That's great. But those championships were 40 and 50 years ago. We have to understand that you have to have some marginal success to get back to a state. I would, every fan base should aspire to getting to a place where that is the standard. And I understand that like UVA having a more recent championship, you want that to just be the standard every year. That is unrealistic. The program is not built, I think, to be an every year contender. That roster was unique, I think, in terms of the combination of experience and NBA level talent and somebody like DeAndre Hunter in particular. And UVA just doesn't have that roster every year, and that's okay. So when you're looking at, we've talked about it before, and you just mentioned it, like the regular season ACC stuff, like that is important. That's sustained success. You know, I, I just think there has to be some perspective. And I know that some people will say, well, that's accepting defeat. I don't know that it is. It's just sort of being realistic in what your definition of success is. So understanding that you're just not going to win every year. Like, you just can't. So, Kentucky, that's a really good team every year, pretty much. They're not going to win every single championship. <laughs> so, like, even if you feel like you have the right combination of players... You still have to roll the ball on the court and see what happens. And players are going to have bad shooting nights. I mean, look at Alabama. I think we, we and we talked about this last week. You look at Alabama or Texas or UCLA, and we we can look at the back of the season and say, or even Houston, and say these were some of the best teams in the country. Purdue, but on a given night, who knows what's going to happen? So because Purdue had a bad night, do we look at the entire season and say this is a failure? Matt Painter is a terrible coach. Some fans are saying that. <laughs> like, does the season, you shouldn't say that. Does but. the season feel like a failure because you came up short? Yes, and I understand that. But that doesn't mean that like your program is broken or Kansas falls short. Texas falls. I, this is why I'm so happy that Texas did what they did and, and, and rewarded Rodney Terry with a contract. Because they easily could have said, ah, you didn't finish the job. We're not, you know, we're going to go get help. Only an Elite Eight appearance. Right. But like... Th- that's the standard that some fans seem to have. Some of them have earned it, but like, no, I mean, I think, you know, Carolina misses the tournament this year and I've joked about it, about Hubert Davis being on the hot seat. I mean, it would be absurd at this point. Like give the guy some time. Is there room for concern? Sure. And I hope Carolina fails miserably in perpetuity, <laughs> but like at the same time, just cause you didn't make the tournament one year after you were just in the championship game, what? Come on, man. Have some perspective. You're you're just you're not going to win it every year. Yeah, totally agree with that, and agree that perspective is important. And waiting out the full results to see where your team actually is 
Like this is this was where I came from and watching UVA. Like I don't know who's gonna still enter the portal or leave. Right. These three people left and it was a bummer. But if three people came into the portal or we get a top 100 recruit on the back end of this, our fans gonna be really pissed at the end of the day. Like if Hunter Dickinson showed up, how how sad are fans gonna be that Isaac Trout decided to leave? Like I like I'm not saying that he's gonna do that, but I'm just saying that you have to see the complete context before you can actually make a decision about whether something is failing or Or some two or three star recruit steps on the court and is actually really good. Sometimes recruiting rankings and scouting reports are not super accurate because you have to account for high school competition and stuff like that. Or guys who play at mid-major schools who transfer in who are all of a sudden like, oh my God, this guy's really good. Or skills that don't translate, like Ben Vanderplas, or at times. I just think you don't... I mean, look at Carolina. They were preseason number one. People just assumed that, you know, the Nance kid was going to step into what Brady Manick did and the roster was just going to work and it was going to be perfect and you still have to play the games. You don't have the complete picture even until the season's done. Like, I just feel like it's so hard to evaluate that. I, I can remember, like, thinking about DJ Burns in the offseason and thinking, like, oh, okay, sure. He'll take up some minutes and, you know, like, whatever. I didn't expect him to be, like, a centerpiece of our offense. You just never know. Like, so I, I think, yeah, it's taking a step back and understanding that you are looking at a tiny bit of the picture right now. And there is a plan. And then there's going to be more plans as things develop. And you'll see it as it happens. Like as a, we all like to to be the coach and the and the recliner and sit there and kind of think like oh, I know how I would build this program and I'd go get this kid and that's what amazes me on Twitter is fans who are just like oh this kid's in the transfer portal go get him. It's like that's a that's a human being who has choice and you don't just get to go. It's not like a video game where you get to like. You know, the old NCAA games where you're like, I'm going to spend this many points on this kid. And he's going to come to my school. Like, that's just not how this works. And I also think that basketball is different than football. Football, they have rosters of Mm 90-plus people because there's so many injuries and you never know what's going to happen and people wear down over the course of a season. Basketball, at the end of the day, you have five players on the court. Yeah. And it is really hard. You can't just go out and get 13 star players. Even the best teams of all time... You look at their rosters, they have eight, nine players maybe that mm-hmm. are real players. And a lot of those are role players that fit around stars. It's it's Stars don't want to all congregate on one team because then they don't get as much playing time. They don't get to show off their wares for their future. Sure. Well, I think if you, you think back to... We'll use Kentucky just because we were talking about them earlier. Their last championship team and that 2012 team. We have Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And you look at that roster, and if you look at, like, Anthony Davis is the only one on there that, zooming out of the entire career, like, that guy was a transcendent talent. On the college level, Michael Kidd Gilchrist was really, really good. And guys like Terrence Jones were good. And but But you look at this roster, and it's actually just, it is full of guys who filled roles. And they weren't all superstars. Darius Miller, Terrence Jones, uh, uh, Ryan Harrow was redshirting, but Michael K. Gilchrist, Deron Lamb, Marcus Teague, Eloy Vargas, Kyle Wilcher. These aren't guys that you're like, oh my God, these are groundbreaking talents. It was a roster that was constructed with people who filled roles 
and a mix of uh, gasp. There were some transfers. Uh, there's some high level recruits that were freshmen, and there's also experienced players who stuck around for a little bit. And it was a blend. And I think th- that's an important thing. And when you just consider that, like, it's not all about like somebody like Calipari, his best teams have been com- like blends of that kind of talent, not just let me go take the McDonald's all American roster, run it out on the court. That team's not necessarily going to win. And then, yeah, a bunch of those kids are going to transfer out because <laughs> they have better opportunities somewhere else. So, yeah, I think you're totally right about that. The last thing I'll say about portal talk, I really wish Caden Shedrick the best. I don't know what the situation was this year, why he lost playing time. I'm sure there was a reason. May not be sufficient for some UVA fans. And I really do wish him the best if he doesn't go to Duke. If he goes to Duke, I... Come on. Don't do that. That's a tough look. Is that worse than Justin McCoy going to Carolina? I don't think it's worse. Well, I guess... Hmm. That's a good question. The thing about McCoy is that there's a certain level of Schadenfreude of... He left because he wasn't getting enough minutes. And, and then didn't play. He didn't play almost at all at UNC. Yeah, but now I think Caden Shedrick is going to play a lot at Duke. Yeah. If he goes to Duke. If he goes there. Look, at, look you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. <laughs> and I think he's, he's leaning into that arc. I mean, honestly, I think there... I would love it if there's something there that he feels he was like wronged. And so he's going to do to be the villain. And it's an FU to... to Tony or to UVA or whatever. Like, okay, give me that, the drama. That's fine, but then you can't clutch your pearls like you did about UVA fans and Casey Morsell being like, why is he getting booed? Come yeah. on, he's a human being. We shouldn't boo. No, I think if we know that's the story, then absolutely. There's my whole thing with the Casey Morsell thing is there was no reason to boo him. He went to NC State. Yeah, but it wasn't a case of like, I've been wrong that I'm I'm saying if Caden Shedrick came out on social media and was like I hate Tony Bennett, and there was this problem and this problem, and I am intentionally going to a conference rival because I hate UVA. Like if it's that kind of thing, then boo. So he has to. So he has to actually come out with, or just make some comments on the way out about like, man, UVA sucks. Okay. My thing is like Casey Morsell never did any like. He's just a nice kid who wanted to play somewhere that it fit more of his playing style. There's no reason to boo that guy. I think if the guy goes out and he's like, man, UVA fans, they're awful. I hate it there. Then boo the hell out of him. Okay. That's 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 the fun part of it. That's this. fair. But that's when fair. they're when they're just like trying to find a better opportunity, you're like, boo, you suck. You should have played for my team. Like, shut up. I don't know. It's just stupid. But like, yeah, no, if uh if Caden Shedrick transfers to Duke and then like, you know, tweets about how much he hates UVA or Tony Bennett smells funny or like whatever. He starts, he starts dissing Bodo's. Yeah, I'm sure. Cut, I'm sure. cutting him off. Sure, boo him. If, if he doesn't like Bodo's or like, I don't know. If there's some something there that he finds that at Duke football games, they serve a higher quality brie with their Merlot than they do at UVA football games. Or... Well, no, Duke fans don't go to their games. That's not. <laughs> That's fair. Come on. Um, speaking of the portal... Yeah. Your NC State Wolfpack played their spring game sure this did. past weekend with sure did. Brennan Armstrong, former quarterback mm-hmm. of the Virginia Cavaliers for the last two years, and offensive coordinator Robert and I, former offensive coordinator. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think? 
How was your first experience in the Anai Armstrong partnership? Irrelevant. Is that a good? Like if I had to give you one word, I, I I put zero stock into spring games. I mean, look, it was like forty five degrees and pouring down rain and like a driving wind. Is that not a condition that you're likely to see in October or November? I think it's, games it's entirely possible. Yes, when you've also had a full spring and summer of practice, and you actually have a full roster, like you have to understand too that you have freshmen that haven't shown up yet you have 17 or 18 players that didn't even play in the spring game because it's a spring game so if they're nicked up at all or in the in the uh, uh, case of Peyton Wilson they just have a history of some injury Dave Doran's not going to play those guys so some of the best players didn't even play there's no way they have chemistry and a rhythm in their offense at this point yet I just don't put a lot of stock into it and also here's my like ultimate this is why spring games don't matter because so Brennan Armstrong threw two pick sixes. One of them wasn't even close to a receiver, whatever. But you, well, again, it was like a lame duck in the rain. Like it didn't look like, it honestly looked like the receiver ran the wrong route. To, it's, it's, it's spring game stuff. It doesn't matter. Will he do that in a game? Possibly. Okay. But my point is you look at this and like Ben Fenley threw a pick six as well. So am I supposed to be down about the quarterbacks or am I supposed to be really excited about the defense? I don't know. You tell me. It's I'm asking you what you, but what's that's, your takeaway? That's, that's my point is it's irrelevant because there is no way to differentiate. There's no way to look at that and choose, especially the way NC State does their spring game. It's starters against bench. So like, what am I supposed to think about this? You know, so the starters pick off Ben Fenley who is our third string quarterback, should I be excited that, oh, great job, starters, you picked off a third string quarterback? Or am I bummed that my third string quarterback threw a pick? I, I think that it's unrealistic to expect it to look great at this point. I just, I don't really care, I guess, what happens in the spring game. Am I a little bit concerned that Brennan Armstrong didn't look super sharp? Yeah, he found a rhythm a little bit later and like his final numbers weren't horrific. I guess I'm just I'm not I'm not overly concerned. So he ended up like 50% completion, 127 yards. He threw those two picks in the first half of it. At the same time, like MJ Morris looked pretty good, and so I if Brennan Armstrong doesn't look good, like we have another option for now. Maybe he transfers before the season, but like I I don't know. I I just. I don't really care about spring game results. It was kind of fun to see like some different offensive things. I saw some schematic stuff that looked interesting to me. They're also not rolling out the whole playbook in the spring game. It's a pretty early spring game too. So I don't know. Cool. It was cool to see NC State football on my TV again. That's my biggest takeaway is like I got on Saturday, I got to turn on my TV and watch NC State play football and they won. I think that's the best way, and they, they also lost. <laughs> I think that's the best way to approach spring games because, like you said, there are people who are injured. There are people who have just showed up early in like early enrollment, and they're just new to the team. Right. There are people learning plays, and a lot of programs use spring games in different ways with crazy formats, which we'll get to in a second. It's really, really hard to take anything specific away Unless somebody just like plays out of their mind or plays terribly sure. or rips an ACL or something terrible like that. I do think, and I'm not somebody who has been a big Robert Anai supporter, although I think compared to 
other possible options, he may be an improvement. I think you will see improvement. You just have to over what Tim Beck was providing as your offensive coordinator. There's just no way that Robert and I will show up and not give you better than 90th in offensive efficiency or whatever. It was something like that with yeah. Tim Beck. You're, you're a lot less likely to see wide receiver screens on third and 11. And so I... Yeah, I think it will be fine. I would be concerned about Brennan Armstrong. I, that's one of the things I'm most interested in in the entire offseason. Almost more interested in that story than some UVA elements of their football team. Mm-hmm. I just want to see it, how much of it is player and offensive coordinator are able to gel and learn that terminology, understand what the other one wants. Like, Is that something that can be easily replicated by Brennan Armstrong? Or is he going to show up and struggle, and then then what do you do? I, I mean, if he struggles, I think you easily go to MJ Morris. I mean, again, MJ Morris in the spring game, two incompletions. Like he How many was, passes did he throw? Uh, he threw 12. Okay. So he was 10 of 12. One of those was a pick. Not a pick six, but it was a pick. Every quarterback threw a pick. It was one for everybody. They're all playing Madden. Um, playing Madden on that hard mode. Yeah. I'm sorry. Actually, he did not throw a pick. Sorry, I, I'm reading the stats wrong. He puts interceptions but four touchdowns. Weird. No, so so he played incredibly well. His one touchdown was a screen pass to a receiver who took it for 62 yards. Um, nice pass. But that's something where it's like there you see a receiver, Terrell Timmons, and that highlight was like, okay, this guy looks – this is a guy who has been good in games um, and now looks like he might be ready to take a next step. And you see a receiver break a 62-yard screen pass in a spring game. That's a thing that you could take away and say like, okay, he looked explosive. MJ Morris had an explosive run at one point, but it's also like they can't tackle him. So it's it's hard to to really gauge what there is to be excited about or not to be excited. The good thing is we have another exhibition. Our first game is against UConn. So like <laughs> Hey man, you just said you I know. watch out for UConn. They're yeah, building an army. Not in football. Sorry, Jim Mora. Jim Mora. Um but uh yeah, so I, I mean I think that like we'll just see. There's there's also there's just there's an entire summer of workouts and practices and getting recruits in for this fall camp. And, and like, I, come on. The defense looked good. Cool. I, I I don't know, man. Starters won 41 to 10. That's the way it should be, right? You're the starters. So, I don't know. Like, do you, I mean, do you feel differently? Do you no, watch the UVA spring game and no. be like, oh, this is how the season's No, the last go? few UVA spring games, they're, I mean, they've had so little health on the offensive line that they've hardly even been able to complete like a full game. And a lot of teams are like this too. Yeah. Like I, I famously, Jim Trestle had a situation at Ohio State where he didn't have enough healthy offensive linemen. And so they played uh, two-hand touch basically in the background and gave points for sacks and points for plays over 10 yards and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I don't think... I don't think you can learn too much from that kind of situation. It's fun, like you said, to be able to see football, get to see your team, get to get excited about some of the people on your roster. Maybe somebody's grown a little bit. Oh, maybe the coaches are put this guy a little bit higher in the depth chart right now. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, that's the thing is like state split carries in the spring game among like six running backs. You think they're going to do that in September against yeah. UConn and maybe against UConn, but against Notre Dame? Or, like, when it's time for that game against Clemson, you think they're going to, like, come on. You're also not having all three quarterbacks play. Like, there's just not anything realistic to take away. I, 
Well, I'll save my next thought for I know what you, what you want to get into next. So I want to I want to I want to figure out it. how we're going to fix the spring game because I think spring games are fun and should be fan friendly. There should be a lot of people coming being excited about it. A couple of a couple of things that I wanted to point out before we get there. We had a couple of situations the past weekend where spring games had some interesting setups. So uh-huh. first flag I would say is Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt Stadium is going under some repairs. And so they had to play on a women's lacrosse field. Mm. They, the women's lacrosse team played early in the day. Then there was like a five-hour interval where they had to fix the field and get it completely painted over and ready for their spring game in a small stadium, which then looked packed, by the way. Great job, Vanderbilt fans, for yeah, filling the stadium. Well, Vanderbilt's promising. So they have that. The Auburn A-Day game, they just, I don't know what Hugh Freeze is doing down there, but they decided to start the game with the defense up 24 to nothing. Sure. The offense's goal was to eventually take the lead. They had a 60-minute running clock with no quarters and or halftime, and that Freeze would have uh, full control over all situations. So he could just decide, okay, they're going to start the ball at the one-yard line. Hmm. That's really weird and confusing. I it feel is. like that's something. I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on what your goal is in the spring game. Is it, if it's for the coach to see something, but I kind of feel like most coaches feel like the spring game is a waste of their practice time. Yeah, that they're actually like risking injury and they don't actually want to do that. And ultimately, it is. Like I, I think the spring game is a waste of time from a program building perspective. The spring game is about fan service. Like this is. It's designed to generate excitement. Fans get to see some early enrollee recruits. Like you said, they get to see guys rise up the depth chart, uh, get a look at, at new coaching staffs and kind of what they're looking at, stuff like that. So here's here's my proposal. And, and I'm glad you mentioned Hugh Freeze because he actually has an idea that I kind of like. Uh-oh. I know. <laughs> it's a danger, dangerous territory to be in. This first part is not from Hugh Freeze. This is just what I would like to see in the spring. So... Fans want something in this time of spring where they've concluded spring practice. I think you take the spring game, you build a fan fest experience, bring fans in to the stadium. You've got all sorts of fun things planned, maybe some music or whatever. I don't know, make it like a festival with your team completing like a skills challenge type thing, like a mm-hmm. Pro Bowl type deal um, where you have, you know, your quarterbacks doing like the longest pass thing and the accuracy challenge and your best skill players running through obstacle courses and stuff like that. Some of that's fun. Minimizes injury risk. You get to see these players. You get to see, like, I don't know. You start to see these videos coming out now of, like, teams doing, like, trick shot passes and, and kickers doing, like, do some of work, some of that in. Make it a fun thing. Families bring their kids. Fans get to go see. College students are like, oh, this will be fun. Like, think about some of those teams where you've had – like those Ohio State teams loaded with those quarterbacks. You have like Cardell Jones and uh, um, like Braxton Miller and some of those. I would have loved to see them like. Who can knock a can off sure, of the uprights? Absolutely. Super fun. Like just make it a fun thing. Okay. So that's your that replaces the spring game as like this is the fun thing that happens in April. Then what you do is sometime in the summer when you've come back, sort of like maybe August or so. You, you give them some time to come back in, have some workouts and, and practice. I, I don't know what their full like 
on and off periods right. are, but you give them a chance to have some practice. And this is the Hugh Freeze idea. You take your big programs, your big state programs like Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, and they play a small school, small in-state school for charity. So it's not a... a, a you get pro- a Clemson-Furman game sure. instead of it being a pay-for game exactly. in week three of the season. Exactly. You, you donate proceeds to some state charity or something. So, yeah, Alabama plays Troy. Maybe UVA plays, like, Richmond. Well, <laughs> 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 or I was going to say Tech plays Old Dominion, but Ooh. yikes. Uh, uh, but you find things like that, or like State plays Elon. And, and you find a way then to to use that as, as charity. You can have special rules if you want, because it does put you at some injury risk if you're playing like a real game. But maybe you do short quarters. You could still have no contact jerseys for quarterbacks. Maybe you find a way. Maybe it's even flag football or something. I don't know. But you find a way to be able to like, do some sort of shortened scrimmage or something that might be a little more meaningful. It might increase injury. It will increase injury risk, but it would be more meaningful. It would generate excitement for, especially for the smaller program and the bigger program then gets to help raise money for something meaningful. I don't know that I, Hugh Freeze had that idea. He was saying like, you know, Alabama will play Troy. Auburn could play UAB or vice versa. Do something like that. Uh, charge, you know, a little bit of money, but like not much. And then donate those proceeds. All, the whole time you were talking and talking about fun trick shot things sure. and raising money for charity, I, all I could think about was how would Nick Saban respond to any of this? <laughs> yeah, I just feel like he would be like, "I we we're not going to do that." Sure, that's that's fair, and like you would probably get some pushback, but I just feel like if you could say uh, uh like one of the i was reading some stuff about this and one of the examples was if georgia played kennesaw state sold tickets for 15 bucks people are going even if it was in the spring if it was next week you said they're gonna go play next week like kennesaw state fans are gonna be like hell yeah i'm gonna go spend 15 it, like go do it at the smaller school too i don't know like and, and or, or like you could even do what college basketball teams do and have these closed door scrimmages it doesn't even have to be a big thing you charge people for. You could just like have some of these things or, or seven on seven things or, or, or something like that that's going to generate excitement, which is what the spring game ultimately does. But I think you can make it more useful. Yeah, I think my biggest idea was to have something similar to this. Use the spring game and have programs play each other. If a program decides that they want to play against Kennesaw State, great. But if you told me that USC and Ohio State were playing a flag football game this weekend, you think I'm really not going to watch that? Of course I'm going to watch that. So make it flag football so there's less of a risk of injury. Obviously, there's still some. Somebody turns an ankle or whatever. But I would absolutely watch that. You can still see the athletes that you want to see. You could even put restrictions on how many snaps everybody gets if you want to make sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, whatever. But... Even in a meaningless game like that, go play that game. They would fill up Dallas Cowboys Stadium if Texas decided to play Oklahoma or something yeah. in a in a preseason scrimmage like that, even if it was flag football. So that's one thing. I also agree with you very strongly on getting fans more involved. I think there should be a segment where fans have a competition. Maybe people could uh, do some kind of application. Fans call the plays. Mm. And I think this would serve two great purposes. One, it would be fun and hilarious. 
Two, it would also probably put an end to people who are like, I could call plays better than that. Be like, okay, yeah, right here. Yeah. Let's see how that quarter looks. How's that offense clicking now, Jerry? (laughs) Would that translate to, let's say you and I are both big Alabama fans and you win that contest to call plays for Alabama. But then I watch you do it and I'm like, yeah, that was bad. Does that mean that I think, okay, yeah, no, I couldn't do that? Or does every fan just look at the next fan and be like, no, I could do better than that guy, though. Well, but see, that at least. <laughs> so I think it almost creates that. more of it. Well, okay, so that's still fan interest, though. Fair. It's still generating fan interest. See, so. I like the idea of having, and this is what Ohio State used to do. They used to, so they used to have it, they would do a full scrimmage, and coaches, like, drafted players. So they Ooh. had balanced, so it wasn't starters versus backups or whatever. They dra- so what if you let fans draft Ooh, the team? So that's kind of what they do more or less with the NHL. Well, yeah. used to do with the NHL All-Star game. Yeah. Before they did it by divisions, they would have a draft between captains. That could be fun. Well, that's what the NBA does. But but if you said, like, all right, and then you could incorporate multiple fans. So maybe your biggest boosters, although, like, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what would happen. Um Here's $20,000. I want this quarterback on my team. <laughs> and, and you get them together and, and you get a room full of 10 fans that all want a contest or something. And they're like the war room and you get to have a draft and they get to pick their teams. And then those teams scrimmage each other. Like you could, there's all sorts of things that you could do that are fun. And notice that none of them involve offense versus defense and defense. You get uh, three points. If you hold them to a two yard gain and five points for a four, you know, like, these different like scoring systems that coaches like the Jim Trestle stuff that they've come up with. I, I did some looking and I just, I don't even want to like, some of them are just absolutely insane. Like, yeah, the, well, the, you show up and then suddenly there's four points on the board and you're like, what happened? Right. I, I didn't get the memo on what this was supposed to be. What? It's just, none of it, none of it makes There's a, an example from uh, a Northwestern spring game years ago that this reporter was covering and a quarterback threw a pick six on a screen pass. And, you know, you're thinking like, okay, a pick six. But on the scoreboard, they get five points for the interception and 12 points for a defensive touchdown. <laughs> so it's the old pick 17. And it's like, <laughs> this is, it's so stupid. These like spring, spring game scoring systems that coaches come up with. And fans talk about things that are hard on fans. Like, how do you follow that? Right. That's why I like state system where it's like starter versus backups and it's a football game. You score a touchdown, it's worth six points. You kick an extra point, it's another point. Like it's not like, you know, based on what a coach values and things like that, and, and fans can't follow it, and that doesn't generate any excitement when you're sitting there trying to figure out why it's twenty-four nothing, and the they haven't even kicked the ball off yet. There is uh, there fans can correct me on this because I don't have the right date, but there was something. There was a spring game right at the end of Al Groh's tenure at tenure at UVA where they just lined up and just started playing without a kickoff or just randomly on some yard line. It was kind of the same thing of Hugh Freeze picking Mm. what he wanted to see. And I remember the fans in the stadium, I was one of them just looking around like, are we, what? Did we start? Is this it? The scoreboard's not even on? What's going (laughs) on? What what are we doing? It's like watching uh, an NFL training camp practice where you don't know what's happening. You're not really supposed to. So the Panthers do this every year. They have a fan fest where they have their last practice of training camp in the stadium or one of their last ones for everybody to see. And it's like 
some of it is sort of there's going to be some sort of live scrimmage period, but it is very much a there are situations. It's not just let's go play football. And fans go to see it and they're like, I don't understand why the ball is on the 25 on the left hash all of a sudden and now it's on the 12. <laughs> like, what is happening? It's just, it doesn't do anything. And I, I think coaches don't really particularly care for it. So replace it with something fun after your spring practice period. Give one day that's just skills challenge, fan festival thing. Maybe you do some stuff where fans get to call plays. Fans get to go uh, try to kick a field goal. Uh, what if what if you had here here are my last two ideas yeah you just said field goal mine was penalty kicks of field goals but with non-kickers I don't exactly know what the details of that is but you would have a team of like five people who are not kickers on each team gotcha kicking 25 yard field goals yeah like penalty kicks to see can who, uh, who does it. can Will Anderson make a field goal yeah I'd, I'd want to know that that's pretty cool yeah the other thing I would I wrote down uh, play a few, play a few drives with a local team of people that are like eleven to fifteen people just against the players. Now that I this don't think you would like ever another get... way for Brian Kelly to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you would never get anybody to agree to this because somebody would like blow out somebody's knee yeah. if they didn't know what they were doing. But if you made it like flag football, if you had like a UVA's club flag football team, okay play seven on seven for a couple of drives against the I think that'd be fun yeah if you if you made it like a seven on seven flag thing I could see that it's funny because that that actually like and there's some stuff there that you you never know so maybe you find maybe you find that diamond in the rough who's been is, playing the club team there is a kid that I coached in basketball down in Charlotte his name was Clifford Taylor and uh, he was a decent enough high school basketball player like not a college basketball player at all Went to Florida just to be a student. Uh, was playing intramural flag football. Somebody noticed, hey, this kid catches everything. Said, hey, you ought to try it. Like, walk on. It was a, a football, uh, Florida football player was refing this game. I was like, hey, walk on tryouts are next week. You should just come. And like, not. Like, he made the Florida football team as a walk-on tight end and now has like a million TikTok followers and is an influencer because. <laughs> See? There you go. He became a walk-on tight end in the SEC from flag football. So yeah, you never know. If you do it with like college students or just people, I don't know, maybe That Ru- seems like Rudy a fun walk-on Texas Ranger or something. That seems like a cool uh walk-on uh, Texas Ranger a, is good. Get a get a good crime show or yeah, something out of it. Sure. I it could be fun, right? But yeah, then you're going to have that random Bama fan who's like, "Oh man, my glory days. I was a real good three technique." And then they line up against uh, all SEC wouldn't it be funny if you like blasted. Will Anderson just like stiff arm stiff armed some forty year old like draft stock abs- goes up. absolutely like uh, decletes him like that I would see that Jalen Carter's gonna fall out of the top ten for character issues but when he <laughs> when he pancakes the local used car salesman <laughs> solidifies his stock as a top ten pick hey, the man. Panthers can't decide between Bryce Young and CJ Stroud but. <laughs> The way C.J. Stroud really carved up that local Girl Scout tree. <laughs> <laughs> should see his vision. Those brownies never had a chance. Unbelievable. He's the number one pick for sure. Yeah, I, 
It'd be fun. And that's the point, right? It'd, it'd be fun. And this whole thing is supposed to be fun. So, um, yeah, Nick Saban would hate all of it. But that's honestly, fun. It's okay. maybe, that's a, maybe that's a marker of a good idea. If Nick Saban hates it. Run it by him first. You're probably he, on the right track. Hates it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you have any ideas that you want to submit, you can submit them and we'll read them out next week. Uh, you can write an email to preferredwalkons at yahoo.com. You can also reach us on social media at pwopod. And next week we will have Chris Wright of thesaber.com to talk about the very important things that happened at UVA spring game, which we already established spring games are very important. I can't wait to roll provide, my eyes at everything you said. Provide a lot of information. So we'll get that out to you next week. Where's your quarterback from? Merrimack or something like that. We're in there. Monmouth. Trans- Monmouth. Yeah. That's Tony Musket. I'd say. Well, he's he's name. he's fighting he's fighting for reps with Jay Wolfuck, who's currently getting he's the closer for UVA's baseball team. Go who's wild stuff. It was a proven winner.